the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, and can be found on page 1520 in the Pew Bible. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You, you give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the gospel of the Lord Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. His steadfast love endures forever. However, even when we hear that, have you ever been in a season where upon your whole experience is screaming at you? Maybe it's screaming things like, God is not love, or God is not merciful. God is not in control. God is not going to let your enemies... Well, guess what? God is going to let your enemies triumph over you. Your flesh screams. The world screams. You hear the good die young. You hear those who plot and scheme evil are going to get away with it. You hear your marriage might not get any better. You might hear your health is not going to return to you, at least not on this side of heaven. No one is going to just hand you a better job. 
Some of the things which you always wanted to do are just not going to happen. What should you do? What should you do when you hear those voices? Well, I'll answer that in a moment. There's a Latin term for that feeling when we are hearing our flesh scream and we're thinking in our season of, of uh, trial, of pain, of hurt, of anguish, when we're thinking about ourselves, thinking about ourselves, it's called incurvata si, which is turned into self. Think of the word navel-gazing. Or as we say at our house, omphaloskepsis, which is navel-gazing. It really is a word. Omphaloskepsis, and no, we don't say that at our house. I'm teasing you. But I do turn inward often, and I think maybe you do too. This is an effect that when we think, we think selfishly about our circumstances and our troubles and our expectations, etc., this is a state that we can fall into. And there is a different way of living for the Christian. However, many Christians don't get it. We should set our minds on things above rather than on the here and the now. We read from Paul writing to the Colossians. In Colossians 1, verses 1 through 3, he encourages us, almost he demands that if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, where he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. A reference to your baptism. Yet too often we neglect to do just that, even though the Bible is full of all sorts of stories and examples of people thinking of the things on high. <laughs> Actually, the Bible is full of examples of people doing exactly the wrong thing. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. The Bible does show all of those that followed Jesus, some that did the right thing and did it the right way, but many more that fall into the season, that fall into navel-gazing. For example, the disciples saw that Jesus Christ had, they saw what he had done at the feeding of the multitude. And, and they saw their own inadequacies to provide for the folks. They couldn't provide for their needs, could they? In fact, they gave up. They said, all we have is two fish and five loaves. Were we there? I wonder if they're like, yeah, right. Me feed them? Just get rid of them. 
They saw after that what Jesus Christ could and did do. He did take five loaves and two fish, and he multiplied it to feed men. 5,000 plus women and children. And he had more food left over. More food left over than what they had started with. Jesus can, even when we are caught up in what we can't do. So what had the disciples learned? Did they learn the power and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God? That Jesus Christ was the long-awaited Messiah? Apparently, none of that, even though it was right there for them to see, as we hear further in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And it was the cause for him saying, well, I just, I'm taking it out of concept, but I, if you're just like, come on, guys, you saw. They and us forget the many truths about our Lord. And why don't we remember? It's because we are into ourselves. We are in a state of incurvatus navel-gazing. It's kind of a default for many of us to wonder, what do me, myself, and I think about this? What fills your thoughts during the week? Minimally, we are going to be thinking about work or habits or plans or longings or discontent or life's incongruities and cruelties at least, well, if we're being honest, six days a week, except for Sunday. But unfortunately, even on Sunday, many, many folks are thinking the same thing, and the, the devil and the world and flesh, our sinful flesh, my flesh, your flesh, is screaming at you. It's screaming into your ear and it's saying, God is not able. In your pain, in your anguish, your flesh, the world, the devil is screaming, God does not care. He's saying your sins are too great or others' sins are too great. He piles it on saying nothing makes any difference, so why try to do the right things? The accuser, the liar, says just bow down to the political correctness of the day. Why not? Give in to the trends in religion, morality, etc., of the day. There really isn't any need, Satan says, to try to do the right thing. At his worst, he says, just follow along, even if it leads you straight to hell, because there probably isn't hell. 
Anyhow, that's what the devil, that's what the world, that's what our flesh may say. Here's some truth. You need, I need Sunday. We need it every Sunday. We need Holy Scripture. We need the Old Testament, the New Testament. We need what God says. We need what God gives. We need what God has and gives. It's what saves you and me from the world's ways. God in Christ saves you from despair. God in Christ saves you from mere compromise. You and I, we need today's readings and we need more. Now the world, the world has mercy. But the world's mercy and the love of this world is always transits. It's on again, off again. Like the fair weather friend, the what have you done for me lately. The world's mercy is fleeting, it's narrow. It always asks for proof. And sometimes it has mercy towards you and other times mercy towards others without any kind of rhyme or reason. Fickle. The world's mercy often depends upon who is in the world's favor. But remember what Jesus Christ said in his parable about the sower of seeds. We know about the seeds that some were on the path and some were on the rocks, etc. That's Matthew 13, 22. But the part that applies to us right now is this. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. Further in Matthew, he writes in 16.26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world or forfeits, excuse me, and forfeits his soul? James gives us a warning. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You need what God has and what God gives because the world knows nothing of mercy. And what it does offer as mercy is fleeting at best. But notice that the psalmist says, God's mercy endures forever because the psalmist is in proper unity. He is one with God and one with the Lord. God is not the made-up ideas 
which this world advances. If you ask people out on the street, they'll tend to tell you, yes, I believe in God. But if you ask them who is God, you'll get an array of answers. They'll say God is a concept. They'll say God is, he's good. They'll say God never condemns. He, he doesn't judge me and nor should you. Might say God is a woman. You ask long enough, you're going to hear lots of answers of God is. You're going to hear all manner of foolish, man-made ideas. However, Moses brings us back to our senses in Deuteronomy 6.4. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In Revelation, Jesus is called the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the Revelation, Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. And God has taught us that he is the blessed and holy trinity. Three persons. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God's mercy endures forever. But not because of ideas which we put forth. God's mercy endures forever because he is the only holy, true and living God who has revealed himself to us. He is not a God of our own making. Now there will be times when you and I get stuck. We'll be so overwhelmed by our troubles, our fears and needs that we can't quite remember God's mercy which endures forever. And at those times, we do well to remember God's attributes. I'm going to point out three of them because that's what the psalm of DeForest points out to us today, the three attributes. This psalm starts, verses 1 through 3, as sort of an introduction, like the psalmist is saying, Hi, I'd like to introduce you to God. You can call him Dad. God is, in verse 1, good. God is, in verse 2, God of gods. God is Lord of lords. Verse 3. Further, God is creator. As we see in verses 4 through 9, he made the heavens, he spread out the earth, he made the great lights. So what? <laughs> so this. If the world, if this country, if this state, if you, if I, in a storm that we are in, would remember this, who he is, good God and Lord, 
perhaps we wouldn't have to be so fearful. If the children of God remembered their Creator, perhaps they would realize that God could and will rescue them. Perhaps we should realize that He who created the heavens and the earth, the seas, and all else has control not only of them, but also of us. God is redeeming love. In verses 10 through 22, that we are confident, even though that we have rebelled against Him, that the Lord continues to provide What does he provide? Well, he provides the sun, and he provides the rain and food and life for both the evil and the good. Yes, (laughs) he provides daily bread even for the ungrateful. But his people gladly acknowledge that the preservation of the earth and its blessings is continued. It's a continued display of God's love, of God's mercy. And so you and I are confident that if the Lord watches over the sparrow, surely he watches over me. And the implications of this are are truly wonderful. Whatever is going on at any time in your life, you know that God has it covered. Even if there is some new experience for you of which you are fearful, the eternity of God means that he has already been there. God never sits on his throne and says, gee, I didn't see that coming. He doesn't. He has been in your past. Did you know that? He has been in your past where he was there with his steadfast love. He has been to your future. Did you know that? The fact is, he is there already with his steadfast love in your future for you. He's got it covered. And because he is eternal, what he is preparing you for right this moment, right in the midst of all of this garbage that we are in, right at this moment, he is preparing you for his glory. Remember that St. Paul, he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, he said, so... We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is renewed by day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And finally, the third attribute is God is continuing love. Psalm 136, 23 through 26. The last three verses of the psalm restate the Lord's redeeming and creating love in general terms. He is the one who remembered us. He is the one that feeds us. He is the one that freed us. The love of the Lord, when it reached its crux, however, the high point, demonstration of God's love was when and was with Christ and Him crucified. And that is when we were redeemed, when we were rescued from our enemies. What enemies? Our enemies were, past tense, sin, death, and Satan. The ones that are causing us anxiety now. And Christ secured an eternal inheritance. Isn't that astounding? The psalm concludes with give thanks to God of heaven. His love endures forever. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses from the writers like James and the author of Hebrews where they say, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The author of Hebrews says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. He made a promise. It's done. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So you see, God is not like the people who you have to wonder about if, if they are going to change from moment or to moment or day to day. God is perfectly consistent. He remains. And on Him, on Him you and I can always depend. Whenever you pause in your life to contemplate that His mercy endureth forever, please be sure to remember that His mercy is always about Christ and Him crucified. It's not dependent on you and your life and your shortcomings or your good things you've done. It's dependent on Christ and Him crucified. And it's dependent on you being in Christ, clothed in Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit, marked by the cross in your holy baptism. This is at the end of the sermon just about, but not because it's the last thing. It is at the end of the service but keep in mind our Savior crucified for our sins.
and risen again is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our Christian faith. And the wonderful truth that God's mercy has shown itself in his plan, begun even before the foundation of the world, is marvelous to sinners indeed. And that God has become a man and kept God's law perfectly in our place is mercy, ultimate mercy. And that God gives to us his son's body, his son's blood for the forgiveness of sins and for salvation. That is ultimate mercy grace. Please remember this. In all times and in all seasons of our lives, even the icky seasons, let us give thanks unto the Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.